everybody. Good day to you and welcome to a brand new episode of The Edge. I'm your host, Scott Logan, and folks, over the last five days, I've managed to eat my weight in Halloween candy. Now, look, I've got to start reining this in because, folks, I'm hitting the point in my war on obesity where I'm getting close to the cliff where I'm peering out at the slippery slope ahead of me, and that slippery slope is slippery because it's coated with chocolate. I'd like to tell you that I've been at least eating some fruit, but I'm not sure gummy dots count. But it's time to bucket up. So today I'm moving on away from candy and leaving it in my rear view mirror. The Halloween candy season is over and it's time to move on to what's next, which of course happens to be Thanksgiving. I'm in trouble. Anyways, This week, we are picking things up in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Now, last week, we spent a little time bringing some clarity to Paul's references in verses 8 through 10, where he was talking about when Jesus went to Hades during the three days before his resurrection. And in some ways, that may have seemed a little oddly placed in the middle of this discourse on the church and the gifts that God gives the church. But we need to understand that Paul was using that reference as a qualifier for Jesus giving grace and gifts to the church. In verse 7, we saw that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. And then Paul used verses 8 through 10 to basically say that this is possible because of this, what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Jesus died bringing our sin and death with him on the cross. He descended into Hades and declared victory to everyone there in Tartarus and Paradise, and then emptied Paradise, bringing the righteous with him when he rose from the dead and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. Like a new homeowner who gets to cut the tape before entering their new home, Jesus opened the seal so that all who were in paradise, all the righteous who lived up to this point in history, could finally enter into heaven. And from then on, all who belong to Jesus get to be with him once they move on from their time here on earth. Now, this week, we're going to come back around and start looking at what those gifts are that Jesus is qualified to give us. So for the sake of flow, I want to read um, the first 10 verses again and then pick things up in verse 11. So let's read, starting again in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, or prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Now, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is the same as the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Okay, now, verse 11. 
And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Stop right there. All right. So Paul starts to lay out some of these gifts to the church. And these gifts are different than the gifts we talked about when we were way back in chapter one. Back then, we were talking about the spiritual blessings that we get as the perks of just being children of God and how those were different from the gifts listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which were things associated with the Holy Spirit working through us. Again, um, what we see here is different from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in that the gifts listed in 1 Corinthians are bestowed on believers, where the gifts listed here in this text are gifted believers being bestowed on the church. And not all of these exist anymore. So let's look at these together. What you see here are really leadership roles in the church that each um, has their own individual purpose, but all work together in harmony. You have roles that are intended to deal with situations. You have a role that's intended to deal with sinners, and you have roles intended to deal with believers. First off, you have roles that are intended to deal with situations. You have the apostles who were equipped to guide the early church and point it in the direction it should go, and you have the prophets who were equipped to guard the early church and what it ought to know. That should be a song. Now, we had primary apostles and we had secondary apostles. Now, the primary apostles were commissioned by Jesus himself as his sent ones. They were the ones who had been with Jesus and saw his resurrection up close. They were given the job of teaching truth to the church through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Now, there was an exception, Paul. Paul didn't walk, eat, or sleep next to Jesus, but he was a primary apostle. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, where he was talking about the order in which Jesus revealed himself at his resurrection. After Paul went through the list of everyone else who saw Jesus first, he said in verse 8, Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we preach, and so you have believed. Now, when we're talking about secondary apostles, we're talking about dudes like Timothy and Barnabas who were very closely linked to the primary apostles. Now, as far as the prophets go, like I said before, these guys were called to guard the early church and what it ought to know. They would speak through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit and spread New Testament truths to local churches and congregations. Their job was to spread these truths before the completion and distribution of the New Testament. Now, I mentioned this several weeks ago, but we need to address this again. Both of these job titles are expired. The roles of apostle and prophet no longer exist today. We mentioned this before in Ephesians chapter 2, but I'll say it again. 
Ephesians 2 tells us that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Paul compares the church to a building, and we can understand that you don't build a building by repeating the foundation over and over again. The work of the apostles and prophets was there to kickstart the church and get things moving, but they were not in the picture anymore after the first century. Now, Paul in verse 11 mentions evangelists, which makes me want to point out a little side note. There are some wonderful, well-meaning brothers and sisters in the Lord today who like to say that as Christians, we are all called to be evangelists. Sometimes these well-meaning but slightly misinformed children of God will almost guilt you into coming along on a door-to-door crusade to pass out tracts or to stand on a soapbox downtown and proclaim your faith to those passing by. I love the zeal and the heart. I do. But this is not a gift given to everyone. To say that we are all called to be evangelists is contrary to the scripture that we're reading. If you're going to say that everyone is called to be an evangelist, then you have to say that everyone is called to be a pastor or everyone is called to be a teacher. Now, that's not to say that all believers can't be soul winners, but you can just see the difference between the people who, through the sovereignty of God, have been chosen for the gift of evangelism and those who have not. The evangelist can just show up and open their mouth and the Holy Spirit moves through them in a way that just draws multitudes of sinners to Christ. I've seen it up close and it blows my mind and blesses me with how God has gifted certain people with this gift. Sometimes it feels like I can try to live my faith out in front of sinners I know and never really see any response, but a true evangelist can come and talk about what they ate for breakfast and the sinner falls to their knees in repentance of their sins. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a little, but I think you get my point. The evangelist may not be teaching anything as deep as the pastor or teacher, but he wins the souls through the gift that God has given him. Then we have the pastor who is simply put a shepherd. This is someone who is driven and motivated by their heart towards God's people. They're the ones who care for the weak and visit the sick and go after the ones who have gone astray. They sacrifice so much of their own strength, money, time, and resources to be able to counsel the broken, provide for the needy, and comfort those in mourning. And the pastor does all of these things pretty well because they have the heart and God-given pastoral gift. Now, this is not for everyone and is definitely reserved for those who are sovereignly chosen for the job. Unfortunately, there have been many who have stepped up with good intentions to perform this role without a supernatural calling to do so, and in the end were responsible for some hurt to themselves and others along the way. Some enter into pastoral ministry based on their family heritage. Perhaps both their father and grandfather were pastors. Maybe for some, they didn't necessarily feel a calling, but rather pressure to step up and fill in for the old pastor that left the church. I've been witness to both instances, and in both cases, it eventually led to the church's closing with a lot of wounded people. It's not that the men who were pastoring were bad people at all, just square pegs trying to fit into a circle. Now, 
We're getting into the next category, which is starting to be near and dear to my heart, teachers. Teachers are the ones that can expound on biblical truths and doctrines and find underlying principles. They spend time digging into biblical and church history and original languages to more accurately convey correct theology and its purpose for the church. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.13, teachers explain spiritual things to spiritual people. Hopefully, the teacher will get others to be just as excited about exploring scripture for themselves. I mean, that's the goal here on the edge. Now, one thing we need to understand before we move on is the individuality of these gifts. Each one of these is a specific gift that includes a specific skill set that comes with them, which is powered by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes a gifted teacher will get a lot of pressure from others to become a pastor. And there are some pastors out there who I hate to say are not very good teachers. That's because the scripture isn't saying that these two gifts are always given at the same time to the same person as a pair. Now, I need to be careful here because I believe that there are some great pastors out there who are great teachers. I would never name names. But as I've been greatly blessed to serve alongside some amazing men of God who were both great pastors and excellent teachers, I've also served with people who were clearly one or the other. So now we know what these gifts are that Jesus gives the church, but what are they given to us for? Unfortunately, we're not going to have the time to get into it this week, but we will continue on in Ephesians 4 next week. If you want to know more about the Ministry of the Edge, please check out the official website at theedgepodcast.com. All of my social media links are at the top right corner of the page. Make sure to give our Facebook page a thumbs up and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, make sure to follow me on Twitter at edgepodcast1. Guys, it has been awesome hanging out with you this week. I can't wait to do it again. Thanks for listening to The Edge. I'm your host, Scott Logan, saying until next time, live on the edge.